Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video and podcast. <clears throat> Download this video onto a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify. I think that's it. So um, anyway, I'm Jenny Graham, editorials editor of the Tulsa World. I'm Bobby Set, editorial writer and columnist. And it's snowy out. So Bob is in the newsroom because he has internet out, mm-hmm. which is, you know, so not a fun snow day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I helped push a car out of the ditch with my son who couldn't quite get out of the driveway. So Yikes. he stayed home today. So, you know, we're having that kind of day. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I woke up this morning to my mom calling, which is, you know, always sort of a, a, a 50-50 chance of what that's going to be like. I don't know if that's how your reaction to a mom call at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. She was, she goes, Jen? I just got through reading your column and I just want to tell you, I love you and I'm worried about you. And, and I was like, I had to think, first of all, what I wrote. And then I had to think, what, how did that come off? And, uh, and, and so, and then I got checked my email and I have a lot of email of people telling me they love me. And and, and so I, (laughs) I have to, I just want to address to everybody. I'm fine. I have a very thick skin about things. But the column was about the reaction to a column I wrote a couple of weeks ago. And it was just about the demographics of the legislature looking at the demographics of city councils. And it just, it's a column I've written probably three or four times before because every election, every demographics changes. And, uh, but this particular one, and, and that's what I wrote about. And, and my argument is we should just be purposeful about trying to grow leaders, pay more attention to who we're appointing to boards, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that was a trigger for some people. And the reaction was very angry, particularly when I pointed out that our legislature in particular is 91% white and almost 80% male. And I just, you know, that's historically been the case, but we can do better. But wow, the, the anger was pretty swift. And and I was encouraged to write that reaction about how people are just, you know, I, I, I was accused of, you know, all this stuff, stirring it up, causing problems. Mm-hmm. And I was encouraged to write that by Randy Crable, who said, yeah, that's, it's interesting that what does it say about this time yes. that we can't even bring up the facts that, if, if people are triggered by just hearing that, then what? Did, right. how are we going to get anywhere? And I don't know, it just kind of had me thinking about maybe this is why things like critical race theory is taking off with some people. Yes. Or last year's House Bill 1775. I mean, things about race that are what I call fear-based. And I don't know what their fear, I don't know what the fear is. I mean, I mean, we've talked about this, Bob. I don't, what, why, why would I bring that up? Are, what are people scared of? Is the loss of power? Is it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just, I don't want to feel bad about things. I I don't. This is a this is a thing I think has been brewing for a little bit, and it's definitely tied to um, the, the changing of the demographics of the country and the state. So we've known for a while that the country is becoming much more diverse uh, racially, ethnically, and, and things like that. So for the longest time in this country, for almost all of its history, it's folks that look like you and me that have been making the rules. We are the default. 
our versions of the events that we have been passed down to us for you know a good couple of centuries now all of that's kind of being challenged as the voices of growing uh, minorities have become louder and it's not because they're louder because they're being more insistent it's because you've got the different groups of people that make up a larger part of the country so this pushback is one of those kinds of things where I, it's almost like a subconscious thing. Yeah, it's it's almost psychological. And I, I put it out in, in today's yeah. column that, that people who are not represented, when they look at our state legislature or the city council or whatever <laughs> board, and they don't see themselves and they don't feel represented, mm -hmm. I, they're not waiting for a columnist to come along and tell them that. That's already there. What, yes. you know, I think what our pages try to do is to give a... Is to is to provide space and to provide avenues for for other perspectives because we do have a political climate in Oklahoma that is super majority Republican. It's very conservative. I mean, you know, almost seventy percent of people I think voted for Trump, um, and so we get a lot of like single messaging out of that, which is the way it is. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I do think that we have to be purposeful to try to hear another side, to try to hear from people who aren't at that table and who don't have that megaphone and but it was weird is that 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 whole discussion got lost because people were just angry that was pointing it out and i think we just have yeah. to pass that somehow but it's but it kind is. of become weaponized a little bit it, so. exactly and uh and i think you know when especially with these school board races where everyone's really sort of going after this critical race theory which no one seems to define i mean no one seems to give an example of where that's being used in Oklahoma, but yet that's what everyone wants to talk about in these races. And it's like, you're missing the point of a lot of the issues going on. So, you know, I think we have to kind of try to get past that. But um, anyway, I just want to take a moment to tell everybody I'm fine. I appreciate the love, but I wasn't writing that to, to get love. I was just uh, thought the reaction was interesting because it's certainly uh, angrier than, than the last four times I've written that story or column. Mm -hmm. um, but it did kind of uh, transition well into my next Sunday column, which is about uh, campaigns. And you've noticed this, I think we've talked about this, where the, the language mm -hmm. of campaigns is all about fighting. Yes. Uh, fight Congress, I'm gonna fight the libs, I'm gonna fight the conservatives, I'm gonna fight Nancy Pelosi, I'm gonna, I mean, and then, then they'll be shooting guns or riding horses or wor working out. I mean, that's always my fun one, like, like, if I ran for office, I, they'd like show me co baking cookies, I guess, I, or reading a book. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I w I'm not that active of a person, I guess. <laughs> See my on the rowing okay. machine. <laughs> you know, if someone's going to have a video of them working out to show that they're strong, give me one good quality squat. Just one. <laughs> exactly. Or, or do, do, we bank, uh, do we take off if like they're on a treadmill, but they're not really have good form? I mean, do we, you know, is there... Some if, sort if you're of, on, if you got your treadmill on the incline and you're hanging onto the treadmill, yep, you can't, you can't be congressman then. Nope. You can't, nope. you can't serve an office. But it is, but it's, it's like this. We have sort <clears> of sub. It, when you think about the law, the the job of a lawmaker, it's reading a lot, it's listening, it's talking. I mean, none of the skills. They're not fighting. I mean, they shouldn't be fighting. They are fighting, I guess. But, but it, it, it's just weird. Like I think we should kind of and it used to be and, and you and I are about the same age 
there used to be a campaign approach that was effective that was, I will work across the aisle. I will mm -hmm. go to Congress and I will get something done. And we've replaced the approach of, I'm going to get something done and work with those who I disagree with to, I'm going to fight them and we're just going to dig in. Yeah. And that's that anger. And, and I, we, I don't know how to get past it, but we can't even, I was, I was even thinking now we can't even get them in the same room. Like remember right. a few years ago after Hurricane Sandy, where Obama comes to look at the damage and he had met with Chris Christie and how everyone flipped out because Chris Christie met the president. Yes. Yep. That's if you remember, I think late last year I wrote something that, that kind of talked about this a little bit too. And how sometime in the 1990s, when the uh, contract with America was brought up in Congress and Newt Gingrich sort of led the charge for a GOP takeover in the House, and eventually all of Congress, it became less about competing and more about fighting. It became a lot more combative. And that's only doubled down year after year after year, because the other side is not your opposition. The other side is your enemy. Right. That definitely. Right. When you're talking about dealing with your enemy, you're not reaching across the aisle to cooperate with your enemy. You're fighting your enemy. And, right. and it's all just, of the uh, imagery of fighting of, you know, putting on a pair of boxing gloves and a ring or, you know, shouldering a 12 gauge or an AR-15 and shooting targets or skeet or whatever. I don't know, whatever. All of those things come into play to make you look like a fighter, whatever that is. Um, I have a kind of, it's all a little bit silly to me anyway, because like I said, just give me one good squat. <laughs> just one. Well, in transitioning to, to, to the next, next uh, big story for our pages on Sunday, you have written one of the most depressing pieces I, I've, I, and scary. <laughs> depressing may, maybe not be the right word. Still scary. And, and, yeah. uh, it's to, just to set it up here and I'll let you, you explain it. And I am curious how you came, why you decided to write about this. But you basically did a lot of research on what would happen if a nuclear bomb hit Tulsa. And it's, it's very well written. People need to read it. But um, you'll, you'll be a little anxious afterwards because I read it at like 11 o'clock at night and I probably shouldn't have done that. So, so but, but why did you do that? I mean, because we grew up, we're Gen Xers. And by the way, good job getting, uh, what was it that you mentioned? The day after. The day after. Gen Xers will get that. So, yep. but, but why did you do that? What, what led you to wanting to write about that? Well, not too long after uh, uh, Russians invaded Ukraine and the Russians started getting a lot of pushback early on and a lot of promise of uh, we're going to, from the West, that we are going to resist this and help the Ukrainians. Uh, Vladimir Putin had hinted at the possibility of, well, if that happens, then maybe I can, you know, consider using my vast nuclear arsenal. Well, this isn't something we've had to contemplate for a while. Since the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, nuclear war really kind of faded into the background, even though the weapons didn't, but the threat of it did in our minds. And as I was kind of going through Twitter and just reading stuff, I was noticing a lot of people from younger generations who 
were not cognizant of Cold War realities when they were young or not even born yet. We're like, oh my gosh, what is this? What are we, what new hell and do we didn't have to grow face up now? Hearing, they didn't grow up hearing the stories from no. even our parents who were well aware, lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right, like yeah, so I went, uh, my memory goes back to a class that I took when I was in college where we had studied uh, for about a week or so, we had studied nuclear war and we spent a day looking at what would happen in our little college town, you know, 35 miles outside of Oklahoma City in the event of a full-scale nuclear attack. And that one single class was the most memorable session I ever had through college. It has stuck with me. So what I tried to do is research that, what it would, what it would look like, what would be a possible scenario um, and just kind of figure out how this would go down uh, in a place like this. And in a full-scale attack, yes, there are enough weapons in Russia, strategic nuclear weapons, that a place like Tulsa could be a potential target. Uh, we've got stuff here that would be advantageous to not be there anymore if you were an enemy. So trying to look at the types of weapons that would be used, the timing of it, the after-effects, and some of it was surprising to me, um, but none of it was great. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was, it, it, it was something I haven't pondered in a while, but it's the different yeah. types of nuclear weapons that mm -hmm. our weapons have gotten so sophisticated. Um, yes. and, and, and it was, it's, it's an interesting piece and I hope everyone reads it. And then I think what we ought to, but we also have, and what was not addressed is that we also have you know, the cyber attacks that are very real that we're already sort of yep. experienced on, on smaller scales. And there's also bio attacks, you know, bioweapons that, um, and so, it, but, but reading your nuclear, your, your nuclear piece was, um, yeah, sobering to say the least, but. Um, it was, it was sobering to research <laughs> that thing. That was, uh, yeah, that was dark. So, so next week you're writing <laughs> about rainbows, where That's rainbows something. come from, how happy we are to have them. That's your charge. Something so, like that. But you know, something the, nice. <laughs> something nice. But it's hard when we have a uh, uh, politics going on because our legislature has certainly been active, uh, and for for better and worse, it, it, not a lot of talk about the budget yet, but a lot mm -hmm. of talk about everything else. The one of the editorials that our editorial board came out with this past week, um, or maybe it was last weekend, was on the judicial nominating commission or committee that we need to bring up and it was it's a Oklahoma it was interesting when you when you research the history back in the 60s that we used to have we used to vote on our judges to the Supreme Court and appellate courts and um and not surprisingly there was a scandal where they were taking bribes yep. and also political legislators were putting influence on them so they were making rulings based on political influence and so Based on that, they kind of blew up that system and came up with this judicial nominating committee, and it's worked well. It's it's worked. Yes. It's we have been scandal free for over you know almost half a century. We've gotten attention for it because it works better than the federal system, where it's basically they're and a lot most of the committee are non lawyers, but they're appointed from different places from different congressional districts. They vet candidates for the Supreme Court and appellate court. Uh, you know, based on merit. And then they take a list, send it to the governor, and the governor appoints from that list. 
but the idea is it's political it's free of politics free of partisanship <clears throat> and and we've had very good uh judges from that well in this move and we this has been brought up before uh the lawmakers are getting frustrated that our court systems are declaring their laws unconstitutional. And so they want to, and they call it legislating from the bench. It's not, it's, it's a separate check on government. And so they want to have more control over who goes on the bench. So this particular one would do away, abolish the committee and commission, <clears throat> sorry, forgot which one, what they call it, um, and have the, and do it just like the federal government where the governor chooses the nominee just based on anything and the Senate confirms. And the idea is it puts more power in the hands of the governor and the legislature. And I think it's a horrible idea. And I, I think our board wholeheartedly agreed because look at our federal system. Yeah. A circus for every Supreme Court nominee. We have federal vacancies because Whoever's in power, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, there's a stalemate over partisanship. And then we have judges that just don't get the job because they're the wrong party or something. Yeah. So we just, we want lawmakers to vote that down, that bill, and um, and and for people to be aware of it. So it's a bad If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And that's the thing is we, it was created, like you said, in response to a serious problem that threatened the integrity of the bench and it fixed it. It did. It and, and we it. have and a it has, judiciary. And it has been working for decades and it's been working well. If you don't like being checked, if you don't like things like checks and balances, maybe the United States of America is not for you because that is what our whole government system is founded on is checks yeah. and balances. I think, I think we wrote, and I probably stole it from, from Wayne Green at some point, the former editorial <clears throat> editor, that uh, the answer is not to do away with the system. It's to, to write laws that aren't unconstitutional. Because that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah, that would so. be very helpful. So were there, there's some other, there was a, another um, uh, editorial, I think that's coming out that, that our board talked about and that you're taking the lead on, which is uh, a Rob Standridge bill that would, uh, I'll let you explain it. It's about the homeless camps that different cities sure. are dealing with. So. so Mr. Standridge wrote a bill that does among other things, uh, requires, and just bear with me because this sounds, it's going to sound as strange as it is, okay? It would create a system where homeless camps would have to abide by building codes, municipal building codes, and that the cities would have would be responsible for monitoring things like uh, wastewater drainage from these camps into water sources, and they would have to do this uh, if they find a problem with any of this they would have 30 days to eradicate the camp or face, uh, basically be responsible for any legal problems that would come up with it. The, the language of the bill says they'd be liable for any problems. So not surprisingly, um, I won't get into what other people said. I'll just get you my take on this, okay? And I will say that the take is a take that the board has approved of. So this yes. is an editorial board discussion we had. Yeah. Yes. 
it's basically trying to outlaw homelessness. That's the bottom line is what you're trying to do. So you're trying to just push the problem away to where, who knows, the, you're trying to tell me that people that set up a camp, they, they have almost no means as it is, and they have to meet the same codes as a building. As a building. So they're, you know, we have homeless people who are setting up a tent somewhere, and the idea is they're going to, yeah, it's, it's, they're, it's they just have sort to, of a, They have to meet the, uh, the, the same codes <laughs> yeah, as a, it's a builder. It's a way to just legally have, give a legal reason to go and, and shoo them away. Or yeah, them. you've got folks yeah. that their main concern right now is I'm going to set up my tent or my tarp and I got to find something to eat. That's what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about, well, if I am living here and, you know, five feet out of the woods, I'm chunking some trash and, you know, go relieve myself or whatever. Gosh, I wonder what that's going to do to the water quality. No, they're trying to exist. They're hoping they don't freeze to death or something, somebody come up on them or something like that. They have no means for this kind of thing. You're telling cities that are already dealing with the homeless problem to a high degree, and this is a difficult problem that does need to be solved. But you're telling them to sink more resources into this to not actually help the problem, solve the, the issues, the root issues of homelessness. You're basically just going to turn this into a law enforcement thing, even more than it already is, which we know is very limited and sometimes punitive effects on people. Or they're going to get in trouble. They're going to be subject to some kind of lawsuit that somebody files, you know, whatever. And I think the term I use for this in the editorial, uh, not to give away too much, is particularly on this, you know, building code thing. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. It defines well, the term absurd. And, you know, the, the thing that struck stuck out at me with that story was the uh, Rob Sandridge had said, he's from Norman. He did not consult anyone from Norman or any of the outreach groups that work with people who are homeless. He basically just created it. And I think, and I haven't researched it, but I think that there was a similar bill like this that was presented to the Austin City Council, it may have been in the Texas legislature. So this is not, I mean, this is one of those copycat legislation that, has, that did not come from people who really are trying to solve this. And Tulsa, I, I know, because I'm not familiar with Oklahoma City, but we have it's a, a pretty robust group that are trying to address this yeah. from, you know, trying to get rental assistance to keep people from getting evicted and put on the streets to the, the mental health issues that leave people because we're, we've tried the, the law enforcement moving away. That doesn't work. So well, what else? This, is, we, this was, is textbook bad policy making. I'm yeah. just going to call it for what it is. I don't, I don't mean any ill will or anything like that to lawmakers who are putting together bills like this, but when you just burp out something like this that does nothing to solve the problem and criminalizes behavior of people who are already facing a number of crises of their own, what are we thinking here? What are we trying to accomplish? Uh, I do not get that at all, at all. And well, I want I want to bring up one more absurd bill that we've not written about yet because it just we haven't had time, which is the bill that passed the House that would 
allow parents to give anonymous money donations to their public school teachers um, for a tax credit. And that is an absurd way to fund education because first of all, all it does is make the well, I mean, the, the parents that can just give a thousand dollars to a teacher, they're already going to be in wealthier places. And so the kids, so no, no teacher is going to want to teach at a poor school when you can go to, I mean, this other school and get money from anonymous people. And it's just, um, mm -hmm. the, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And I think that it was uh, John Eccles who said, he didn't think parents would use that as a manipulation. And I, I want to say, bless oh, your boy. heart, because you have not been around enough PTA tiger mamas. Um, yeah, I, I've been around some, some pretty uh, aggressive parents who want their kid in that teacher's classroom or this homeroom or whatever. And when you start, and then those parents are going to be like, I'll give you a thousand dollars. You don't think it'll happen? I guarantee you it'll happen. So, and let's just say you've got a family that they've given you a thousand dollars, but you are going to have to discipline their kid. Mm -hmm. There's something psychological there that's like, how do I, you know, there's always that, is there a string attached? It's a horrible bill. It's I, I cannot even believe that that, and the, when they asked on the floor, like, well, what will this do to low-income schools? They said, oh, well, we'll figure that out. There'll be oh, other yeah. avenues we can do that. I'm like, Sure. That's nothing to improve education. So it's just, it's like a session of bad bills so far when it comes to education. And that's probably a whole other podcast. But we got to wait till the session ends. Yeah. yeah then we'll exactly. give them a grade. Let's give them a grade after that session. So I was, I was thinking two thoughts with that, with that suggestion or that law or bill or whatever yeah. we got going on. It reminded me back, um, probably about eight or nine years ago when we were really facing some education cuts and things like that and teachers just in a real desperate situation where I was seeing fundraisers in some of the suburban school districts to raise money for schools. To, uh, I think one of them was in Jenks, not just to, it was to prevent layoffs. Right. They were trying to do a fundraiser to prevent their teachers being laid off. And I'm like, what in the world? We are down to this point. Just fund oh, yeah. it. Just and fund it so they don't some, have to fire anybody. Right. And then there are some issues with the IRS. Too. I mean, I've been involved with these where you have to pay also the salary. I mean, the, the benefits. And I just, it, it's not the solution. Well, and the it's second thing help. that, yeah, the second thing that pops up to me is this looks like one of those workarounds mm. that we saw like when we, when we passed the, uh, I think it was state question 640, you know, can't raise right. taxes without a vote of the people right. or X percentage of the legislature, and then start cutting taxes. All of a sudden it's like, well, we started cutting taxes, but we need money to do stuff. So what did we do? We found workarounds like fees and fines and all these other administrative costs that weren't exactly taxes. You couldn't call them taxes but they had to do these things just to keep things afloat. They're working around things instead of just being responsible, funding the institutions you're responsible for funding and stop dancing around. Because what you have with this bill is they are dancing around something which they could solve themselves if they just knuckled down and did it. Right. What are they thinking? Well, the voucher bill hasn't come up for a vote yet. So we'll just see how that, that plays out because that would take more money away. 
Sure, um, sure. So, but anyway, uh, what is there anything national? The, the I'll tell you, there was an interesting piece about, um, and it was the headline was great. It was the the Brittany Griner. Why why isn't why aren't sports talking more about her? She's the WNBA player, uh, plays for Phoenix Mercury. I believe it's Mercury. Um, arrested in Moscow. She was playing in Russia in the off season, and she was arrested at the airport for her vape. And the, the officials, Russian officials claim there was hashish in, on, in it, on it. No one really knows. That's the, the allegation. So she's being detained in Russia. And it brings up a lot of things. I mean, there's always this weird intersection of sports and politics and geopolitics that the first question is, and it just cracks me up, um, why is she playing in Russia? Well, let's see. She's the she's a premier player in the WNBA. She's one of the few that can dunk. And her salary for the Phoenix Mercury was like two hundred twenty eight thousand. So yeah, she's going to be making money in foreign markets where she can earn more. So yep. we start there. But uh, have you read much on this on this particular case? I've read some, and that what you're talking about right there, where you have uh, particularly in women's basketball. Uh, a lot of these people do, a lot of these athletes do compete overseas because the money is better. Mm -hmm. So that's not uncommon. Um, when I saw that, it brought to mind something I saw on 60 Minutes. Uh, I think it was about three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. It's this exact situation. They were asking the question, who is responsible as a group for more kidnappings and hostage takings than other groups? And you'd think, oh, drug cartels or terrorists or this or that. No, it's governments. Foreign governments or just, you know, national governments across the planet are responsible for more of these ransom or hostage taking situations than any other group. And that's exactly what this is. Right. I, that's exactly I, what it is. Well, I'm in the camp of, I don't think she committed a crime. I mean, I'm in the camp of they're holding a, a star player who's an American for yep. some reason at some point. I mean, it could just be she's she's literally a pawn in sitting there. And I think they're waiting to use her at a certain point. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's kind of scary in the way that, you know, athletes end up being shrapnel for these, you know, political tug of wars. And we see it in the Olympics a lot, including yeah. this last one, but it comes up all the time. And so she's the perfect hostage too, because she is fairly high profile. She's American. There's no ignoring this. She can't sweep it under the rug. She's somebody that has been mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. thousands of times by ESPN. People have seen her in basketball games at Baylor and in the WNBA. She's like, for the Russians in this case, the perfect person to have here. And I think given where we're at with the uh, with the Ukraine war and the tensions between Moscow and the West and particularly the United States, ooh. I know. It's, I'm it's not very, very optimistic about. For Between that and your nuke story, it's enough to like send me under the covers this weekend. So, <laughs> you know, so. But, you know, we, we tend, we want to end up on a, a light note, but I just can't think of a light note right now. So, so what, what do you think, Bob? How do we end this? How do we end this? Well, we got one more good snow. So that's kind of cool in its own way. Although I think most of us are tired of winter. 
Um, I find myself looking for things in my own little world that make me happy, that might make other people happy. So one of the things I do on Twitter is I do a daily distraction pick, <laughs> which for me is like pictures of mountains and stuff like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I just post that out there and throw it in there. I think I forgot to do it last night, but anyway. That's a good one. Find stuff like that. Uh, the thing that broke up my my feed, if you get, if you remember a while back when we were talking about the Super Bowl, uh-huh. and I put on the Denver Broncos hat, even though the Broncos weren't in it. You know, I'm a Broncos fan through and through, but we've suffered. We have we have definitely not been feeling much love the last few years. And then they traded for Russell Wilson. Sorry, Kansas City fans. The free ride is over. We finally got a quarterback. <laughs> it just made yes. me so happy. I don't know. Yes. For like a day, I, I, that, I was like, that did- yes. So that's that's what I got for on the positive side. I can't I can't pull anything out of the war or state politics or national politics or inflation or anything like that. So I'm, I'm all less Russ, let Russ cook. Yes. Well, I found, I found like football I fun again. This before what makes me happy this past week. I'm, I found the, the nineties or eighties college rock station on like Amazon prime. And it's all my favorite, and, you know, early REM, you know, oh, all that yeah. stuff. That's good stuff. Like so, college radio. Yeah, I had it going and, and my husband and I were very happy listening to that. So that might be cranked up today. So we'll Get see. any pixies in there? Oh, yeah. Pix- yeah, definitely. Yeah, smithereen. Nice. Oh, smithereen. Yeah, smithereen. Good stuff. So, yes. So we're showing our ages. But my bit. kids actually like it. So, you know, they can't or they don't complain about it. So I take that as they like it. So. Pixies are ageless. <laughs> exactly. Don't, don't care what you say. Well, until next week, everybody, keep warm, be safe, and uh, we will talk to you then.